0: When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose above God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night.
1: Our Father, we thank you that we are studying not words that are a secret code, but words in order to make things clear to us that would otherwise be unclear. These are Jesus' words, his revelation through his apostle John to the church. So help us to hear the voice of Jesus. And as we are being reminded in the book of James on Sunday mornings, that we will be doers, not simply hearers of the word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now the book of Revelation is a message from Jesus Christ to His church about what must take place. In other words, about what is really happening in the world. Why was it written? In order that the church of Jesus, local churches, Christians, know what is happening in the world behind the headlines, if you like, know what to do, know how to persevere, keep going, and to ultimately conquer, which means to live for eternity with Christ in the new uh, creation. Now, the message of Revelation is always a relevant message, But through the centuries, it is a book that is of particular help and encouragement in times of difficulty for the church. The Revelation was first given by Jesus to John, John the Apostle in exile on the island of Patmos at the end of the first century, the church under real uh, pressure. Now, the apocalyptic language in Revelation visions, pictures, numbers, beasts, dragons, is intended to grab our attention, to wake us up, and to galvanize us. Bible commentaries say that depending where you are in the world, people are more or less able to appreciate this kind of literature. So, if you live in our part of the world, apparently we are much better wired to understand New Testament letters, the kind of logic of their writing. But I wonder if that is an aid to us, that a book like Revelation is perhaps new and less familiar, and will arrest our attention. The subject matter of the book of Revelation is the last days. That's the period between the resurrection and the return of Jesus. The book always has an eye to the day Jesus comes back as judge of all. And that is meant to, along with the nature of the writing, galvanize us and strengthen us and tell us what we need to do with an urgency. Because when Jesus returns, as he must and will, there will be no longer the opportunity to believe in him as Saviour. For the day of judgment, the last day of the last days, will be a day of division. For believers an eternity in the new creation, for unbelievers an eternity in hell. There will be no second chance on that day and because we live in the age of the church, the age of opportunity, the age of grace, the commission to the church is to know what is going on and therein to be urgent about proclaiming the gospel. Now, we begin tonight for two weeks in the section from 8, one to 11.19. And it is a coherent section in the book. And tonight, as a special treat, we've printed the whole of that section in the service sheets for you. Now, what we want you to do and ask you to do is to bring a Bible to church each week. And if you're on your phone, use a Bible app or a printed Bible. It just makes a big difference that we see the particular bit we are looking at, whether in Revelation or in James, in the context of the whole. It lets us point you to different parts of the Bible book. Now, this section of Revelation that's printed in the service sheet, chapters 8 through 11, is a coherent section and is usually referred to as the second cycle of sevens. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first cycle, the seven seals, which is in chapters six and seven. And these cycles of seven give us an overview of the period of the last days, an overview of the period from the resurrection to the return of Jesus. With each cycle of seven, the seven seals, chapters six and seven, the seven trumpets, chapters eight to 11, and later in the book, the seven bowls, chapters 15 to 16, describing the same period from beginning to end. They are not therefore linear visions, one following the other as we work through history. They are rather parallel visions, describing the same period of history, but from different camera angles. And taken together, they complement one another taken together, they give us a fuller understanding of what must take place so that, and here's the purpose again, as churches, as Christians, we know what is happening. We know what to do. We know what we need to know in order to persevere and conquer and live for eternity with Jesus. Now, we preachers in Revelation need to work really hard that the takeaway from a sermon is not what on earth is going on in the book, but what am I going to do? How am I going to think? How will the church endure? Now the second cycle of seven, the seven trumpets our focus today and next Sunday, is structured as follows. Now I need you to understand the structure. And that will be helpful, I hope, so if you have your Bible open or the printed service sheet. Now, it starts with a preface in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 8, where the seven angels with the seven trumpets are introduced and another angel is described. That's chapter 8 verses 1 to 5. That is followed by the blowing or sounding of the first six trumpets, chapter 8, verse 6, through to chapter 9, verse 21. And then between the blowing of the sixth trumpet, which is described in chapter 9, verses 13 to 21, and the blowing of the seventh trumpet, which is chapter 11, verses 15 to 19, there is a vision of another angel with a little scroll, chapter 10, followed by two witnesses, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Now, the structure is uh, there, it's quite clear, and it will help us to understand how to apply uh, this. Just turn to the very end of the section, chapter 11, verses 14 to 19, just so you see where it's all uh, headed. Verse 14 introduces the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, that's a, a direct quote mirrored in Revelation chapter 21. The new creation has dawned. That's a day of wonderful prospect and glory for believers. It is verse 14, a day of uh, woe for unbelievers. Now, that's the structure. You'll see where this is uh, headed. Now, in terms of the uh, teaching points from this structure, there are, I think, uh, four, and you'll see these uh, on the service sheet, which is the final Uh, sheet in the printed uh, outline. Here are the four uh, teaching points. Number one, we learn from this uh, vision, this section of Revelation, about our prayers, the prayers of Christians and churches. These verses teach us the answer to one of the vexing questions about the Christian life, why pray? Why pray if God knows? Why pray if God is sovereign? Why labor in prayer? The second teaching point is chapter 8, verse 6 to 9, 21, six uh, trumpets, first six trumpets, and that teaches us about how God sounds warnings in his judgments on the earth. It's really sobering verses and will challenge us to fit that into our understanding, our framework about God and faith. And then the third teaching point, which we'll look at next Sunday, is the witness of God's Word in the world. And then the final point, the end of the last days, when Jesus returns, that's the passage we just read, 11, 15 to 19. And just consider the two points in the middle. Think of our world, all the stuff that's going on through history, evidence of God's judgment in history in the world. The purpose of God's judgment in the world to arrest the world, to arrest humanity, to wake up humanity to the realization that we as humans are incapable of saving ourselves, our world. And at the same time, as God is sending out His judgments on the earth, the third point, He is sending out His Word into the earth. So that when humanity comes to realise their need of salvation outside of themselves, they hear the gospel from the church. Now that's the essence of it, and it might be a simplistic view of the world, but I think probably it resonates a spot on. Everything we see in the world through history, and we're in the middle of a difficult time in the world, is an opportunity for humanity to conclude as to humanity's helplessness without God. And in these times, not least the times in which we live, the church's job is to hold out the word of the gospel as the answer now tonight we'll look at the prayers of Christians and churches the first point and the warnings of God's judgments in the world. So firstly then the preface chapter 8 verses 1 to 5 the prayers of Christians and uh, churches and that was one of the bits that uh, we'll uh, read. Now the picture in these opening verses this preface is of the prayers of the saints being brought by the angel or an angel to the throne of God. Saints are Christians. Now, I've referred to the prayers of Christians and churches simply to remind us that this book is a revelation from Jesus to His church. In other words, we need to hear the message as individual Christians, but also as a local church, as local churches across the nation, as local churches across the world, Now, the prayers of these saints, or Christians, or Christian churches, are offered to God with, the vision says, much incense. Now, the reference to incense and to the angel standing at the altar is clearly signaling that the prayers of the saints, your prayers, my prayers, our prayers as a church, can only be brought to the throne of God if they are accompanied by some sacrifice. In other words, the prayers of the saints are brought to God on His throne along with incense that is burning. The incense that is burning is sacrifice. And we know that from the rest of the book of Revelation, What the Revelation is referring to is the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. And so the prayers of the saints, you and me, and our prayers as a church when we meet together or gather together to pray, come to the throne of God through the name of Jesus. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's not a catchphrase that's a fact, a theological truth. It's only through Jesus' death and resurrection that we have the voice to pray, Abba, Father. That's the Spirit of Jesus within us. And yet, when we pray as Christians, our prayers are not perfect. They are full of sinful motives, I guess. They are fitful at best. They are periodic. But one of the wonderful things that happens, think of the throne room of God as we pray in our prayer meetings or in our homes or in our small groups. These prayers are perfected, are purified, the dross, is burned up and our prayers are presented so purified to God on his throne by Jesus along with Jesus prayers. That's a marvelous thought. It is a profound thought. But before we get carried away, it is a very practical thought that as Christians, as churches, we need to be praying. So there's a, there's a clear take-home application from the book of Revelation, what do we do as churches? We need to pray. because the working out of God's salvation purposes on the earth involves the prayers of the saints. Now, does it really? Why pray if God knows? Why pray if God is sovereign? Remember what the book of Revelation is about. Come back above the trees. It is Jesus revealing to his church what must take place, what must take place, what in this vision is being revealed that must take place? The prayers of the saints being brought to the throne of God through the sacrifice of Jesus and embraced by God in the outworking of his sovereign purposes. That seems to me to be what must take place as much as the answer to the prayers, which is the outworking of God's purposes on the earth. Now, I cannot explain why that is and how God incorporates our prayers in the outworking of His will. Revelation tells us He does. And He says to us, to the church, will you pray? For when we pray, Verse 5, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Gosh. Now, what is it we are to pray for before we look at the answer to our prayers, which is the rest of this vision? It struck me this week that the Lord's teaching on prayer in the Gospels seems to resonate very much with the message of Revelation. So, have Revelation in your mind and then have the Lord's teaching on prayer in another part of your mind. Jesus said, this is how you should pray, not so much words to be prayed verbatim as much as a pattern to shape our praying. Think of this and think of revelation, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that if you like, is Jesus teaching on prayer in the Gospels, and the revelation of Jesus to His church in Revelation, like two wires that touch, and there's electricity between them. What do we pray as we see into what is happening in the world? We pray, hallowed be Your name. We pray Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then we pray for our daily bread and our daily needs and our daily forgiveness. God is not indifferent to these things. But we don't just pray for these things. We pray for this big stuff. We work hard to understand what is going on in the world, behind the scenes, behind the headlights and it moves us to pray. So will we pray? In these tough times for the church, will we pray? And that is not a question from me as your minister. It is a question from Jesus in his revelation to your minister. It is a question from Jesus in his revelation to his church. To his local churches scattered all over this country. What is the answer to the prayers of the saints? Now, let's get back above the trees and let's see the wood again. The start of this vision, God's people are to pray. The answer to their prayers is that fire comes down on the earth. What is that fire? Well, it must be in the context of Revelation one, God's judgments in the world, and two, God's word in the world. Think of it like this you are someone that is really on your heart to become a Christian, they're not a Christian and you plead to God for them, you pray to God for them, how might they become a Christian? The kind of stuff I pray is that so-and-so will meet somebody who is a Christian, they will become their mate, their friend. Or they will hear the gospel and they'll respond. That's often how God leads people to faith. But He also often leads people to faith by unraveling their world and their life. He strips away all the stuff that they took for granted. I heard a sermon this week on this passage and the minister described how early in his ministry someone came to him after the service and he knew this person was extraordinarily successful, had a loving family and Was a genuine, a genuine, lovely person. And then his wife was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And the minister describes how that person, his whole world collapsed because he could do nothing. Very often our prayers result in God dismantling stuff that people lean on to lead them to call out to Jesus for their salvation. It's why many people become Christians close to death when mortality embraces you in its shadow. Or think of a bigger scale. What is it often that is the turning point in a nation's life or a church's life, a local church? We pray for renewal or revitalization. And very often that comes as God puts us under his judgment, to humble us, to wake us up as a country or the Western world as we contemplate how bad things are, that we might come to the conclusion that without God, we are all at sea. And remember at the same time as God doing that in a nation or in half of the world. What the church is doing is witnessing with the word and the gospel. Now, the fire in chapter 8, verse 6 to 9, 21 is God's judgment's in the world. God's judgments in the world are to warn people of the wrath to come. They are not arbitrary. God does not make things happen in the world that are hard or allow things to happen in the world that are hard in an arbitrary way. They are to often wake people up to the need of a saviour. Not always. It's too complicated, God's sovereign will, to really, un- there's the big messages of these chapters, though they are to stir them, shake them, frighten them, cause them to realise their inability to save themselves. Consider the warnings of God's judgment in the world. Trumpets trumpets, sound warnings. The first four trumpets, chapter 8, verses 7 to 12, are reminiscent of the plagues God sent to Egypt. They describe the unraveling of earthly securities. They remind us that as human beings, we are unable to control the forces and effects of nature and disease. We live in a fallen world under God's curse, his judgment present in the world now. Now, don't mishear me, but hear this. I am not going to draw a straight line between this and what's happening in our world today with respect, for example, to the global pandemic. We don't know what God is doing, but we do know this, that when we are brought face-to-face as human beings with our mortality, when we are brought face-to-face as human beings, with our inability to rule without God, then God is surely sounding his trumpet of warning to stir us to wake up humanity to its inability to deal with the effects of this fallen world. Now, yes, it is right. And I pray this every day, that God in his mercy will take the pandemic away. Why? Because I am frightened, like many of us. I pray that God will give, as we have prayed tonight, help and wisdom and agency to those seeking to address this global crisis. But the church must pray alongside that the people will wake up to the need of Jesus. No politician is going to call for that nowadays. As we come through this difficult time in our world, and maybe the first signs are there that we will, would it not be a terrible, terrible assessment of 2020? if what has happened or is happening left people totally indifferent to God or even more opposed to Him. Chapter 8, verse 13 is a pause in the vision. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Repetition in Scripture is rare. Sometimes a word is repeated twice. Truly, truly, I say to you, twice in all of Scripture, a word is repeated three times. Both are in Revelation. The first in Revelation 4, the response of all struck worship at the vision of the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And now from the same God, from the same throne, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Woe, woe, woe. How might I... Reword that. Here are some synonyms to the world. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Or Luke! 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 The first war is the fifth trumpet. The second war is the sixth trumpet. The third war is the seventh and final trumpet. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, the sounding of the fifth trumpet. Let's read these sobering verses. Follow with me. The fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of the scorpions on the earth they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, their faces like human faces." Their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lions' teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. We're back to the first verse here. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, He is called uh, Apollyon, the first war has passed. Verses 1 and 11 are parallel verses, the star fallen from earth to heaven that is given the key to the bottomless pit is, verse 11, the king over them, the angel, his name is Abaddon or Apollyon in Greek. These are some of the names given to Satan, the prince or ruler of this world. What is described in these verses is utterly evil. Satan's power to destroy people, to capture their hearts, to captivate them, to draw them away from God. Satan knows that for humanity, like himself, destruction will come in the end and salvation is only possible through Jesus. Satan knows that. And here is an illustration of how devious he is. He will do whatever he can to keep you from knowing that. He will do whatever he can to stop churches witnessing with the Word in the world. Locusts. The Scottish equivalent of locusts are midges. You know when you're in a midge cloud? Have you seen these pictures of the locust swarms in Africa? They ravage everything. That's the picture Revelation uses of Satan, the prince of this world. Why does God allow that to happen? Because this world is under judgment. Then the second woe and the sixth trumpet. We're nearly there tonight. Verse 13, Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for that hour the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Notice that phrase, the four angels who had been prepared for this hour. The book of Revelation tells us what must happen. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three great plagues, a third of mankind was killed. Now, I don't need to make the connections. This is Jesus' Word. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Why does God allow his judgments on the earth to happen? Now, this is hard to get our heads around in order to save people. When will it all end? Well, the most sobering verses in this whole section are verses 20 and 21. Just read them, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts." In other words, there comes a point in the history of the world where even in light of extraordinary periods of God giving over the world under his judgment, It makes no difference at all and that's the sixth trumpet and very soon is the seventh trumpet in history when God just draws an eternal line. Now, as we finish, where on earth are we in this vision in the world? We don't know. Are we in the time of the first four trumpets? Or are we in the time of the fifth trumpet or the sixth trumpet? Are we at a point of time in the West when, in spite of what's going on, people will not turn to Jesus We don't know that. And our job in studying Revelation is not to crack the code. It is to come to terms with this and then come to terms with what follows that is the thrusting out of the word of the gospel in the world and get on with that job. Where are we as a nation? Well, do I need to join the dots or spell it out? We are on the cusp of the greatest attempt at global domination by one country, China. For hundreds of years, as they open up the Silk Roads of the world, using places like Hong Kong, using Western corporations, media, politicians, and educational institutions, satellites all over the world to expand. And yet, the whole thing has been arrested for a time by a virus from a market. Or the expansion of Islam. Or the progressive ideology. The word progressive dominates our politics, our education, our media. materialism, the re-imaging of humans, humanity created in the image of God, and now we have taken over as humans ourselves the responsibility at the beginning of life, at the end of life, and to change even the very fabric of what it means to be human created in the image of God, men and women. So, where are we in the trumpet blasts? And perhaps another dimension of the world in which we live is hubris or arrogance, Has it not been refreshing in the first time for many, many years to actually hear a politician say they got it wrong and survive? What kind of a culture is that? That you cannot get anything wrong? Today, Nicola Sturgeon, our first minister, and I'm not being political, Revelation asks you to look and understand what's going on. I think she's done a great job with coronavirus. She's been clear, focused. We know what's going on. Today, you may have read, it's almost like a sermon today. The virus cannot define our future. Nicola Sturgeon, has insisted today. Scotland cannot let coronavirus define its future. Amen to that. This week, the first minister is due to set out a programme for government for the coming parliamentary year. Quote, today, next week, I will set out radical and wide ranging policies, not only to help Scotland through this crisis, but to drive a strong recovery with a renewed focus on what matters to people across the country. We have an opportunity, she says, not simply to go back to how things were, but to address many of the deep-seated challenges our country faces. The programme for Government 20 to 21 will be based on our determination to recover from this virus and deliver a fairer, greener and more prosperous Scotland for everyone. And underneath the radar is a bill called the Scottish Hate Crime Bill which one atheist this week in the press said he and other leading atheists will use if it becomes law. To stop people preaching from the Bible. No, I don't think that will happen. But Scotland needs not just a political manifesto for its future. Scotland needs its churches and Christians to open their eyes, to see what is happening, and to pray, and to hold out the Word of God, which is God's manifesto for this world and for humanity, While there is still time, and that time, God knows, one day will run out. And the day of grace, the age of grace, will be no more. Now, last word who is safe? Who is safe in this world? Well, look at, um, where are we? Look at chapter nine, verse four, the fifth angel blowing his trumpet, that's Satan opening up the shaft of the bottomless pit. That terrible vision. Verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God. The only people in the world who are safe tonight are Christians. And here, as ever, is a moment when time stands still. If you're listening and you're not a Christian, time stands still. Jesus may be unraveling all that you lean on, that you lean on him. And for the Christian, There is safety, security and everlasting life. And in this world, which is turbulent, to be held fast in the hands of Jesus is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So can I commend the gospel of Jesus to your hearts? And can I exhort you to tell those who do not know of him what he offers to them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, our prayer is that we would be not only hearers of your word, but doers of the same. Have mercy on our world. Have mercy on the church. Have mercy on all our souls. And wake us up to our need of Jesus. And wake us up as churches, as Christians, to the urgency of proclaiming Jesus' name, the witness of God's word in the world. For his sake. Amen.